You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. Episode 51, I am Derek, your regular host on the series, and I still have with me my two transplant hosts, I guess is what we could call you, uh, Zach. How's it going? And Ray. Hello. And you guys have been with me now for quite some time. We did all four TNG movies. We reviewed them, that is. We didn't make them, we reviewed them. <laughs> um, and then we, we take credit for that. <laughs> uh, and then we reviewed the three Kelvin Timeline films. Finishing that up uh, with episode 50. We took last week off and then this week decided, because we have an extra week to play with, we were going to review the adopted Star Trek film, Galaxy Quest. Um, <laughs> so we are going to do that here today. Uh, if you haven't seen the 1999 film yet, I do I, go watch it, um, but there will be plenty of spoilers here if it hasn't been ruined for you already. We will talk a little news before we kick things off. Um, I do want to say, so we are, here's the plan moving forward here in the short term. So next week, we are going to start reviewing the short treks, Star Trek Discovery's short form episodes. Um, at By, by mid-December, there will be three of them with the fourth and final one coming out in January before season two of Discovery. And so we are going to spend the next three weeks reviewing those short treks before taking a break for the holidays and New Year. So that's what we will be doing. I think it's going to be all three of us because Ray seemed interested. In I did, yeah. Uh, I thought you were going back to the Mechbuzz, which is why I was going to dip out because honestly, like I've seen... For- from my knowledge, I've seen like one episode of every show from every season, but obviously not like you guys have. So I can't really argue what's the best of this season since I don't really have too much to go off of. So that's why I was going to dip out. But if you're watching Discovery that's current, I can watch that with you guys. <laughs> I'll stick around until I can't do it anymore. Fair enough. No, the mech boss, so that we are going to wait for uh, Greg, my co-host in crime, to return from his long away mission. Um, hopefully here when Discovery picks back up, it will return and we'll be able to get back to those types of things. But we will have to wait and see. We'll just have to roll with what we got. So um, he's talking about us. Roll with us. I mean, I'm good. <laughs> he's stuck with us. I mean, Ray and I have only done like closing in on 200 podcast episodes together it's a miracle <laughs> that you know we just happen to also be fiancés and you know we we work together we live together we're gonna marry each other and potentially reproduce so you know it's a good thing that we like each other oh you do i didn't notice <laughs> I mean, we're okay. <laughs> so, all right. So we, we are going to... the fights off the mic. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. Um, anyway, so we are going to talk Galaxy Quest. But first, a little bit from Nicholas Meyer. So Nicholas Meyer, of course, is the mastermind behind the Wrath of Khan, the Undiscovered Country. He was... I'm sorry, what are those? <laughs> Just small Star Trek okay. films. Like I, always films have to, I always have to readjust because every time you say Nicholas, I immediately think Sparks. And I'm like, why are we talking about him? So I always have to readjust. Wow. I mean, Word association. Different guys. Word the, association. I mean, for me, it'd be like Nicholas Flamel from the Harry Potter universe. Yeah. The Wizard I, of the I think of him too. You mm-hmm. know? Not Nicholas Sparks. That would not. Ever. Come on, Derek. We all know he's your favorite author. Nicholas Cage. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Um, anyway, yeah, so he, uh, Nicholas Meyer, uh, was brought on as a consultant to season one of Discovery. So he was consulted on story and, and certain things like that. And then there were all of these talks and rumors and things about a possible show that he was doing on his own, separate from Discovery. And it turns out that that is that was true. Uh, it was SETI Alpha Five, which was a name that we knew CBS had reserved, so we assumed it would be the name of a show coming up. 
Um, so his show was going to be Steady Alpha 5. He, uh, in an interview uh, recently, had been said that he had been tasked. Uh, so this was on Midnight Radio. Might as well uh, credit where credit is due. Um, so he said that he had been commissioned to put together a three-hour event hmm. uh, that would have been broken up into three episodes because um, because of the rights of Star Trek, Paramount gets to do movies and CBS gets to do shows. And so they probably wanted to stay away from any potential lawsuits yeah. with Paramount saying, mm-hmm. well, that's still a movie if you're putting it as a three-hour block. Yeah. Right? Is my assumption there. But uh, that... According to Nicholas Meyer, is quote, it's been up in the air. Um, so, you know, it looks like that was something that was going to happen, and it looks like it's not happening. Yeah. Uh, he was sounding really excited about it. He, quote, said, it's very good. It's a terrific tri- trilogy. I think one of the things that happened is they're not sure that a trilogy is long enough to warrant the cost of doing it. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, when you think about what it costs to build, say, the sets for the bridge of the Shenzhou or the Discovery, right. or, um, things like that, you know, there's an argument to be made. Of course, the Shenzhou is only the bridge of the of the, the ships only in maybe three or four episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, obviously, the first two, and there's a few, there's you know, uh, Voke uh, and Laurel end up on it after it's destroyed, mainly destroyed. Yeah. Right. And I think there was a couple flashbacks. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, maybe it would be too expensive um, for a TV format because, let's, let's face it, a three-hour event at the quality that we're now used to seeing on Star Trek would end up being movie budget territory. Right. You know, if you're spending $90 million on 15 hours of Discovery content, how much are you going to spend on just three hours? And I get that from an economic standpoint. I just, I would hate to see them take a three-hour event and drag it out to six to ten just because they built this fancy set and have it not be as good because we've all seen shows that suffer because of filler oh absolutely i mean on screen heroes one of the other shows here on the heroes podcast network we review a lot of the marvel defender shows you know daredevil iron fist luke cage jessica jones and we've basically said for every season that they probably could have cut one to three episodes and just had a tighter story yeah (laughs) Right, but they were kind of locked into this 13 episode format for most of the of the shows. So I'm completely with you there. You know, do we need do we need SETI Alpha Five as a show if it's just going to be half beautiful shots of this expensive set that they've made? Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, I don't even know if it is a thing that we need anyways. I mean, I love Nicholas Meyer. If he's doing a Trek project, I would be on board for it. But I don't know if that's a show particularly that we need. I'm kind of prequeled out, to be honest. Like, I'm looking for, you know, things that go in a different direction. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I guess technically it would be in the future of Discovery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as far as, like, a prequel to the events of an already established, like, well-popular film, like, yeah. I just don't know if that's necessary at this point. Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, get, I think I understand why it would only be a three-hour event, because there's not a whole lot necessarily to say. Yeah. Right? They're on this planet... There's the, obviously the catastrophe, right? The Gilligan's uh, Island story, but darker. I mean, kind of, right? Like, do we really need to watch his wife get killed by those little creatures? Like, uh, I don't want to. Like, I don't need to see yeah. that. Like, this, I know what happens. I don't right. need it, yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, the other thing is that he has not been asked to return to season two of Discovery. I heard about that. Now, that doesn't mean he was fired or anything like that. It literally means they did not contact his agent and say they wanted him back for season two. Yeah. He was on a consultative basis, um, no long-term contract with Discovery itself, Mm -hmm. and he still was actively working with CBS on the SETI Alpha project. So um, maybe they just wanted him to help shape the beginnings of the Discovery world. I guess we may never know. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but that's about it. So I guess then we can move on to our main topic. So um, real quick, before we do that, I'm going to plug something we're doing here on the network. Instead of dropping an ad or something like that, I'll just do it live here. On Tuesday, December 4th, Screen Heroes is doing the third annual Screen Heroes Awards live on Twitch, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 central at twitch.tv slash heroes podcasts 
the episode will then be released on that Thursday on December 6th as well. But you can join us live. This is uh, the third time that we're doing it. We're changing things up a bit. We go through how many categories? 20-something categories? There are 30 categories total. 30. Whew. 30 categories between movies and television and video games that we have been having up for voting all over the Heroes Podcast Network uh, on Twitter at Screen Heroes Pod, on the Facebook page at Heroes Podcast, on Instagram, uh, where you could vote for your favorites in these 30 categories. And we're going to have a roundtable discussion with hosts from all of our shows here on the HPN. Uh, it's going to be a good time. If you join us live, then you know your thoughts will be part of that. We may call out something you say in chat if it's you know something that we think is you know really interesting and, and pertinent to what we're talking about. Uh, so you can be part of that conversation. So we hope that you will join us for that on Tuesday, December 4th. If you missed it, uh, please listen to the episode. Um, that will come out later that week from Screen Heroes. Yep, yep, yep. All right, guys. Galaxy Quest. Uh, 1999 film. Sci-fi film. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I guess kind of, you know, you, I, you guys know if you listen to Screen Heroes, I kind of like to talk about the financials. Yes. So there were a couple small financial things I just wanted to note for people. So first off, it had a $45 million budget, okay, uh, which it made back. It's uh, total worldwide gross was just under $91 million. Total worldwide. I mean, it's not great. It's not great. It's not great, but I mean. It was enough for it to be the 30th highest grossing film of 1999. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we'll that just, is impressive. We'll dissect it more in depth, but this is a very niche film. Like, well, it, so uh, number twenty nine was Deep Blue Sea. Oh God! Oh my! And the th- fucking shark ate me. And thirty one was the Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, I'm familiar with that title, but I don't remember so, that. Movie. Yeah, this is the Pierce uh, Bronson. Yeah. yeah. Um, now the top five grossing films of 1999 are in order. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. What's that? The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Never seen it. Toy Story Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, little little film. Austin Powers and uh, Austin Powers and the Spy Who Shagged Me. Is that the second one? Yes. Okay. And The Matrix. Those are the year. The top five grossing films. Uh, other movies that year: The Mummy, The Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. Wild Wild West, mm-hmm. American Pie, The Very first pokemon movie oh my god came out in 99 so just for some perspective there uh we also all thought the world was going to end (laughs) so marched closer and closer to the end of the year you know uh so yeah so that's that's how it did it stayed in theaters for a while 21 weeks Mm -hmm. uh eight weeks in the top 10 so it actually had some staying power even though it didn't have like a big yeah big opening or anything like that huh so there you have it folks interesting it was definitely a word of mouth film. Somebody went to go see it for one reason or another because it appealed to them, and they were like, "No, this was really funny. You should go see it too." And mm-hmm. that's how it happened. It was just like Wonder Woman. Wonder yeah. Woman had a very lackluster opening, but it stayed in theaters for sixteen weeks. Mm-hmm. So you know, it lasted much longer than people expected it to. Absolutely. I mean, something that struck me rewatching this. Yes, not only was it funny, but it had some emotional gravitas. And, and that was, you know, I don't know. It was a more serious, it was a comedy, but it was more serious than it any right being. Yeah. <laughs> it, made, it made a few good statements. Um, it was just, I don't know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, so, all right, let's just get this out of the way. This is absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time. How would you rank it among the other Trek films? That's always hard for me. <laughs> uh, so I, I embrace that joke that Galaxy Quest is one of the best Star Trek movies. Yeah. It's a um, spiritual Trek film for sure. Yeah. And it easily could have been a Trek movie. Oh, yeah. Easily. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, in 2013 at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention, uh, the they had an event where they were ranking the Star Trek films. And Galaxy Quest came in at number seven. <laughs> that uh, sounds about right. Beyond was not out yet. But sure. Into Darkness was in contention, so there were 12, so 7 uh-huh. out of 12. So, that's not bad. You know, um, for a film that's not technically in the franchise, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. that's not bad. Um, no, I mean, it's definitely a inspired by Star Trek, inspired yeah. by episodic sci-fi shows. Yeah. Um, 
you know it, it's inspired re- by the fan bases that surround them oh yeah comic-con through and through mm-hmm. inspired by real life you can't tell me that the jason nesmith character and the uh Al- um Alex Alexander Dane, that's Ellen Rickman's character. Like they weren't inspired by the Shatner Nimoy Takei mm-hmm. tension. Oh, for sure. Now, it, Nimoy didn't ever have tension with Shatner, but of course he hated his character at a couple times in his life. So they had some contentious moments during the films. That's yeah. how we got Star Trek Five because uh, Shatner felt it unfair that Nimoy got to direct two films and Shatner well, did not get one. Nimoy has. Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> we're not going to go down that road. No, uh, Nimoy can direct. But, you know, one, one thing that's really interesting here, so the Jason Nesmith character, like, yes, he has some Shatner-esque qualities to him, mm-hmm. but this guy is so in love with the show, with that universe. He's also an expert on it. Yeah. He knows the episodes. He knows the content, which is something that you don't see from a lot of actors, especially um, you know Shatner or uh, Avery Brooks, where yeah. Star Trek was not the only thing in their lives. They had other big aspects of their careers that they were more drawn to or maybe felt were more personally important to them. So in the late 80s, Shatner hosted SNL. It was John Lovitz and Kevin Nealon and that group, kind of right before Adam Sandler and Chris Farley came hmm. on. And... They they were like, look, we're gonna do a Star Trek thing, whether you like it or not. Like, we're doing a Star Trek uh, sketch. What is something you've always wanted to tell the fans? And basically, his whole thing, the whole sketch is him yelling at a Comic Con, him saying like, it was just a TV show. Grow up, take those ears off. You look stupid, uh-huh. and it was like. When I was watching it as a kid, because Comedy Central reruns all these things, uh, I was like, ha, 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 that's so funny, grown men in costumes. And now I'm a cosplayer, and that's how I make some of my money. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, I could never be that hateful to people who encourage me, who, like, are actively giving me money. Yeah, no kidding. Well, so on the flip side, this because I was going to bring this up later, but this is pretty relevant now. On the flip side, Patrick Stewart actually initially refused to see the movie mm-hmm. because that's what he thought the movie was. He making thought the fun. movie was making fun of his fans. Yeah. Um, Good for you, Patrick Stewart. And so he, and I checked this out and Snopes actually confirms that this is all legit. So it's a little bit older. Uh, it's, it's from uh, over 50, about 15 years ago. Uh, but he had said, quote, I had originally not wanted to see galaxy quest because I heard it was making fun of star Trek. And then Jonathan Frakes rang me up and said, you must not miss this movie. See it on Saturday night in a full theater. And I did. And of course, I found it was brilliant. Brilliant. No one laughed louder or longer in the cinema than I did. But the idea that the ship was saved and all of our heroes in that movie were saved simply by the fact that there were fans who did understand the scientific principles on which the ship worked was absolutely wonderful. And it was both funny and also touching in that it paid tribute to the dedication of these fans. So very different people. (laughs) Yeah, right for sure. Um, I, I think I think it's worth noting. Yeah, I like that. I also think so. I think the uh, I, I never saw the SNL sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't surprise me though. And, but I want to say that I heard about it. And I think I heard about it because Shatner did a documentary of some sort that was called "Get a Life." Oh right. And it was like he was. I think he was trying to like make up for the fact that he insulted the fans. And I mean, he did a fairly decent job, but it's also like I mean. Shatner loves himself and his image, and so I think, I mean, he was getting a chance to make something and make some money off of it. It really does feel like only in recent years, like in the last 10 years, Shatner's had fun with it, and that, you know, things beforehand always felt like self-preservation. Yeah. I mean, Nimoy struggled with it, too. I mean, he wrote the book, I Am Not Spock, Mm -hmm. and then ended up regretting that and wrote, I Am Spock. Yeah. Uh, I think it is very difficult for somebody who is typecast or painted in such a way where this is who they are only Mm -hmm. when you're trying to be an artist. Right. Right. And I mean, even if you're not trying to be an artist, I'm I'm not an artist, and even I don't want to be pigeonholed into one thing. Yeah. Right. And so when an actor is pigeonholed into not just one genre, but one specific character, Mm -hmm. that's tough. That's a tough situation to be in. And 
I think that's probably why Avery Brooks has taken such a back seat to start, you know, to the convention scene and things like that in these more recent years because DS9's over. DS9 ended a long time ago, mm-hmm. and he wants to do other things. I mean, he's a musician. Uh, that's I, I believe that's his number one passion, if I remember correctly. He's a musician and an eccentric fellow. You know, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure Shatner had similar issues. Now, you know, he had other other things, right? You know, T.J. Hooker, and he was on Boston Legal, and he's had, you know, a lot of other things in his career, like his equestrian uh, endeavors. But at the end of the day, what's the first thing you think of when you think of William Shatner? Star Trek. Yeah. Boston Legal. Boston Legal. <laughs> Danny Craig. <laughs> I uh, do like saying the words T.J. Hooker, but I, I never yeah. once have seen an episode. I know what it is. He played a cop, and that was the name of the show, and he was the titular character, and that was it. That's yeah. all I know. Priceline commercials. <laughs> I actually like Boston Legal quite a bit. Cuoco's <laughs> fake dad. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I get that to an extent. So Jason Nesmith is is a lot of that, right? He's obsessed with it, right? It, it, he kind of gets that hit later, right? Where when he's in the bathroom, right? Yeah. That he this is all he has, and he it's you know it can be looked at as being a little sad, but by the end of the movie, the point is that it's not. See, and here's the thing: nowadays we're so against yucking people's yums, shaming them for what they truly enjoy, mm-hmm. and geekdom is so full of toxicity anyway, geeks versus geeks, which is better, which is worse, and oh, this is trash, this is garbage, that, you know, if an outsider comes into a bathroom at a Comic-Con and starts making fun of the thousands of people around them, they're not going to escape unscathed. That's all there is to it. Like, we're so used to being poked at and made fun of by the 1999, you know, uh, bullies that we're kind of over it at this point. So I think if that scene was shot today in any movie, you would not get the same results. That scene is one of the very few moments in the movie that bothered me from a critic standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it made no sense that those people were there. Right. Right. It's 1999. Cons are kind of mainstream now, but in 1999, they weren't. You didn't accidentally go to a con. You didn't have a a lazy weekend, so you checked out a con. You went because you were a fan, Yeah. right? Whatever the topic was. And so why would these two people go and spend their money and their free time if they thought it was lame? That never made sense to me, but the whole point, of course, is to send Jason on this this journey of having to get upset and pushing the fan away that sets up the end of the movie. Right. Right. It, it, it lights up his arc. And yeah, there were a few moments like that in this film that are very much like for the foreshadowing of something later. Um, the other example I think of is, uh, Alan Rickman's character getting frustrated with, you know, it's kind of snapping at that alien guy who admired him. And I'm like, you're just making, you know, you're setting the stage for an emotional moment later in the film. That, that's all this is. There was no reason for him to like get snappy with him necessarily. I mean, you could say, like, oh, he was tired and confused and whatever. You know where he should have gotten snappy? When he had to eat those stupid bugs. Just Just like Mother used to be. Right. Instead of being a sarcastic asshole, like, just say, hey, I've been living with these earthlings for so long, I like burgers now. Like, come on, man. Well, he's so jaded, I think, because they set up the whole, like, if I have to say that line one more time, yeah. right? Like, he's done I'm with saying it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not saying the line. It's his live long and prosper. Yes. Right? For sure. You know, that's what this is for him. And he's done with it mm-hmm. when we meet the character. And he has to go through basically the same journey that Jason has to go through. The two of them go through basically the same journey to realize that who their characters are is actually very significant to people. Yeah. So, for sure. I agree. Yeah. Um... So, okay, so we've kind of gone in various directions here. So, uh, early parts of the movie, you know, you've got the rest of the cast. The cast, you know, is there because, you know, they really, they, they need the money. They need gigs. This is their, this is how they make money in their careers at this point. Um, I kind of felt like that was pretty genuine, you know, mm-hmm. that it's probably true that the bigger name actors uh, may not take that type of scene as seriously because they have other sources of income uh i'm sure it obviously varies and you know we've been very lucky with star trek that the actors tend to also be fans yeah um but you know i'm sure that 
somebody like you know Garrett Wang who does like the Dragon Con convention scenes and he's doing conventions all over the world for Star Trek that's his life that's his calling that's what he does and then you have somebody like Patrick Stewart who goes to a handful of events mm -hmm. you know but that's not the most important thing in his life anymore his right. stage performances are or something like that um, so I thought that was pretty on point with probably how it really is yeah you know mm -hmm. I mean and it was reminiscent of like some of the what you hear about the behind the scenes stuff from um, I think it was in Will Wheaton's book actually where he was talking about like seeing the cast of the original series at a convention early on and like they were all just like kind of having fun but some of them definitely enjoying themselves more than others um, so yeah I mean it's like you know you don't want to be known for just one thing, but here you are, and like your your career is tied to this one thing at this point. So mm -hmm. now, so you get to, you do it with all these characters. You do get to see the spectrum of like I'm really excited. I got to be a part of this thing too. Like oh, this thing launched me into something else versus like oh, this is it right now. Mm -hmm. So, so I love the the big twist that this you know the Thermians think that this is all real. Yeah. Right. So when Jason thinks that these guys want to shoot like a fan film in their basement or whatever, um, and he does, he's not taking the thing seriously at all. Um, it's it's kind of an interesting moment, right? Because even if it is a fan film, he's obviously blowing it off. It's not going to be a good production either way. Yeah. Um, but I I still enjoy that scene quite a bit because I, I like the idea that there's no way in his mind that any of this is real right right so i don't know if you guys remember back when you saw this the first time it's been a while right but do you at all remember what your expectations were for this movie going into it did you know about the twist at the time i think it was forecast in the in the trailers it was like kind of like the general yeah. premise like yeah i thought that was included in the trailers because it is a generally large plot point of the film and i think i i went in expecting that i don't think it's more of a twist i think it's like basically the whole plot i don't remember trailers i just remember seeing the movie yeah um, i remember not being surprised though fair enough that answers your question okay. so like, i assume it was either spoiled for me or <laughs> you know the trailers forecasted it fair enough fair enough so um there's a cool mechanic in this film that uh i like to tell people about because it's really unique and that's the aspect ratio Okay. For the movie. So if you were lucky enough to see this in theaters, you got the full experience. If you watch it on DVD or Blu-ray, you actually miss some of this. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But the movie was shot in three different aspect ratios. So um, when you watch the, the movie, regardless of how, it, it opens up with it looking like it's on an old TV. Uh -huh. Right? When it's playing the old episodes of yes. the Galaxy Quest show because it's on the projector at the convention. Now, that starts in what's called a uh, 1.33 by 1 ratio. Okay, old TV format. Mm -hmm. Now, in movie theaters, if you saw this in a theater during its initial run, or I'm sure some other theaters have done this during re-releases too, it moved from that, from the TV thing, when it moves out to the convention, to a 1.85 by 1 ratio. Hmm. Okay? That is basically lost on the dvd and blu-ray yeah interesting and it moves straight to the final ratio which is more cinematic which is the 2.35 by one mm -hmm. but in the original theatrical re release of the film you sit in this middle ratio until jason is about to like teleport back to earth and the, the bay doors open to outer space and he realizes that he's actually on a spaceship. Um, when the doors open, it widens out to the third ratio. That's cool. Um, something that's definitely lost mm -hmm. on small screen. Totally unique. Something that was rarely done in films. Yeah. Uh, it actually reportedly caused some problems for smaller theater chains that weren't necessarily aware of that and didn't have the curtains set right. Because... Um. You know, older theaters had actual curtains that covered the screen, right, of the screen right. and would move out to the appropriate size. And so when it would do the full widescreen, it would be blocked by curtains in some cases uh. Uh, or projected on curtains in some cases. So I always thought that was really neat because it basically shows the three stages of the film. Yeah. Right. You've got, well, here's the old TV show and it's cute and it's campy and it's straight up old series Star Trek. Right. Yeah. And then there's the, okay, well, we're in the, the real world. These are actors. It's a show. We're at a convention. 
And then it's the full cinematic of, holy shit, this is real. Yeah. We're on yeah. a real spaceship. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so I always love that. The the cinephile nerd in me always loved that. I huh. feel like this is a perfect like fantasy escape for you, and this would be like your dream thing because <laughs> you're a constant, you know, skeptic. You really are. You're like, have you double-checked your sources at least three times every time I send you a link? So, you know, constant skeptic. So you would go into somebody's situation like, oh, you're really good cosplayers. And then when it turns out to be real, you know, your whole life would be so much better. You, you would grasp onto that and never let go. You would stay on that ship until you died. <laughs> And I know because every once in a while he leans over in bed and he's like, I should have gone to Mars. <laughs> like, Thanks, honey. <laughs> I don't share a bed with him, but I've heard him say that before too. So it's, it's no secret to those who know me that I, I've, to this day, since I was a, a very little boy and knew it was a thing, wanted to be an astronaut. Yes. You know? So yeah, if something like this ended up being legit, mm-hmm. if I was an actor on a show and it turned out to be real like this... Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'd be all on board. It'd yeah. Be, it'd be amazing. Yeah. So I would, I would join Starfleet if I could. Do you guys have a favorite character in this movie? Oh, man. Because we're not really going through the plot necessarily as yeah. we normally do. So. Yes, Guy Fleegman. <laughs> Guy Fleegman is the best character in this film. All the others are fantastic and they work really well off each other. But Guy Fleegman, man, Sam Rockwell plays the shit out of that character. He does. He does. <laughs> Sam Rockwell is such a great actor. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not saying this is his best role, but it's probably my favorite role of his. Yeah. You know? Because uh, he's basically playing the TV audience. Mm-hmm. Right? He's the guy who got an extra role on, on the show and really loves that part about his life. And that's a huge piece of him. But he's still, he's a fan first. Yeah. Right? That's who he is. So he's the one who, he knows the episode numbers and he mm-hmm. knows the tropes. Yes. And he you know, and what's going to happen. Um, I think that's a great pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, if I'm not going to pick him, I don't know that I have a favorite character. I think they all, it's a, it's a cop-out answer, but they all contribute <laughs> something entertaining and unique. I'm a huge fan of Sigourney Weaver in anything. It's so and, good. Yeah. Like, her as Gwen? Yeah. She's fantastic in this. Um, and I like how self-aware she is. I mean, she's self-aware, but also, like, how the audience is self-aware. It's like... We're, we're making fun of Troy, basically, here, especially in the early seasons where Troy was just, like, stating obvious emotions. <laughs> and Ahura, who, yeah. like, didn't even get a last name, or a first name, officially until the Kelvin film. <laughs> right. Like, she had some in books, but never on the show. Like, yeah. Um, so, she, Gwen Sigourney Weaver, that is my favorite character. Okay. And it's because she is so self-referential and mm-hmm. meta, you know. She's like, God, I'm, re- I'm doing it. It's so, and she's also playing against type, too. Mm-hmm. Right, because I mean, she's the '80s action star. She's you know, she's alien. Right, so she's has never played like yeah. a damsel before. She's never played the accessory. Right, and I think she only did it this time because it was meta. And I, I, I love like her frustration when she realizes that, like before she owns it, when she realizes she ha- she has to be the one to talk to the computer. Mm-hmm. You know, is there a replacement beryllium sphere on board? <laughs> you know, like just the way she delivers the line. Yeah. Well, I love that the computer won't answer anybody else. Everybody's like trying to talk to the computer, but they won't. They will only do it if she talks to the computer, which makes me wonder what the hell the Thermians were doing. Like, how were they getting the? Yeah, how did they make it work? Yeah, there is a little bit of a problem there. Right? Um, do they just never need to communicate with the computer? I have a headcanon for it. Sure. Once the real crew took over the ship, that's when all of the policies dropped into place. Okay, that's Got fair. It. They right? set the protocols in motion. Because, the, I mean, the Thermians are accomplished scientists, and they knew right. they'd have to control their own ship until right. they could get it in the right hands. So, speaking of uh, Thermians, a um, lot of actors in this movie that I right? was not aware of <laughs> until rewatching it this time. This was apparently Rain Wilson's first film. Only his second role ever, he played on some TV show two years earlier. Oh, really? One episode. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Tony Shaloub, or no, he's not one of the, the Thermians, but um, I'm trying to remember who all else. I'm looking through the list now. Um, well, you, you have one of my favorite Scrubs actors of all time, was, yeah, Sam Ted. Lloyd. Yeah. 
Sam Lloyd is in the background. I don't even think he has any lines. I don't think so either, but there's no mistaking that face. Uh, which is great that he's back there. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just, it's really adorable. Yeah. Um, there was a few... Well, I mean, and also, like, not a third man, but, but Justin Long. I forgot he was in this. And this know? was his big movie debut as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, he does a great job. I like Justin Long, you know? Uh, maybe not in the Die Hard, uh, Live Free, Die Hard, whatever... He had a really good run of some fun movies, and he has had some intelligent roles too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his character in Dodgeball is pretty hilarious, yeah. and Accepted was bearable because him and Jonah Hill were great bouncing back and forth off each other. Mm-hmm. Wait, they had more chemistry as best friends than Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah did in Superbad, but Superbad gets the, you know, win because it's a Judd Apatow film. Right. And, uh, like, stop praising him. It's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. everybody can make dick and fart jokes. I'll do it for the next hour and a half if you want me to, and it'll be just as good of a movie as Judd Apatow could ever make. I mean, Seth MacFarlane's made a career out of doing it on multiple animated shows. And so. now a Star Trek show. Um, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fair point. I So, I love the Thermians. I love this alien race that's pseudo Vulcan but clearly like squid people at the same time yeah <laughs> right uh I well, they're really like, like the the Daleks meet Vulcan like that's what they are yeah you know interesting, interesting. well the Daleks are squid people living inside robots yeah to be in because they don't have any defense mechanisms right. so in their robot form they do that's fair that's yeah. interesting in their armor mm-hmm. um I love the uniforms the, mm-hmm. the costumes oh, so in this are great. Yeah. I think they're better than a lot of Star Trek uniforms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of my top bucket list cosplays is, well, is to, to, to do the, Lazarus. The crew of the Protector and the Thermians both have really great costumes that would fit in on any Trek set. It's yeah. true. That's true. For sure. Um, and speaking of which, so Ceres and his species... Are like the makeup work on him, the prosthetic work, the the moving parts. Yeah, like that rivaled a lot of big sci-fi films in yeah. the nineties. It looked spectacular, and we just I mean we just watched the Blu-ray last night. It holds up. It does. There it are really sometimes does. in the old show on TOS and some parts in TNG first season with Worf where I can sit there and pick out prosthetics. And oh, yeah. I, you know, I didn't used to be able to do that. It was really cosplay that showed me where those marks end and start. And you can't do that on this movie except with Dr. Lazarus because you're supposed to. Right. That's the only time when you're you're supposed to. But the Thermians look fantastic with their prosthetics in uh, certain places as well as uh, Ceres and... Basically, what inspired what the Zindi, right? I mean, there's some yeah. argumentation about yeah. that. Yeah. Because um, well, so there's a couple of things. So this movie came out in '99, which is a solid two years. Well, December 25th, '99, so not quite two years before Enterprise. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's definitely some similarities in the Zindi. Uh, arguments can be made. The ship looks a lot like Nero's ship in the '09 film. I mean. At the end of the day, it was meant. To, Galaxy Quest was meant to look like Star Trek, right? Right, without it really being Star Trek, and um, I think it got as close as it could be and still look like its own thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Like the the NSEA Protector, the ship is absolutely hands down one of my favorite ship designs in all of science fiction. It's a good one. I absolutely love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's super cool. I think it's unique. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different kind of design. It's not something you would see on Star Trek. No. Which I liked a lot, but it still kind of has a soft saucer separation. Yeah. <laughs> God, and they always think about the scene where they're like pulling out of, out of the dock and it's like <laughs> scraping up against the side of the It was one of those like awkward 90s comedy moments that was just so good. It was perfect though because it was that scene in uh, the very Star Trek, the motion picture. Like all those scenes. Mm-hmm that 20 minutes revolving around the ship like yeah only this was six minutes of pure awkward tension yeah. that created some of the best comedic timing 
I wish more movies nowadays drew their comedy from just awkward tension mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with sex. Yeah. It's like, of course, sex is awkward. Like, we've yeah. all had awkward moments in bed, but, Whew, yeah. uh, like, there's not many awkward tension moments like this, and it was just mm -hmm. pretty perfect. Like, it reminded me of Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks does yeah. good tension moments at uh -huh. times. I think that's a good comparison. For mm -hmm. sure. I mean, I, everyone's like on the bridge is like doing like the body lean to make the ship move, yeah. you know, because we've all kind of done that yes. when we've seen things. And it was relatable. It was totally, totally relatable. I love that moment. It's it's great. Yeah. Um. So, okay. So the planet with uh, the Garignac. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the little elf monster children. Mm -hmm. um, so I, Cute I, and certainly holds up on the Blu-ray. Right? Yeah, it still looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, it was a totally tropey TOS planet. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah, like, for sure. And, and, and guys saying it the whole time. He's like, well, first I thought I'd be the guy who stayed behind and died of something up there, but now I'm thinking I'm the guy who comes down here. <laughs> yes. See, and that's what makes me love his character even more. He points out how likely it is he's going to die so many times just because he died on the show <laughs> before the first act is over. <laughs> like, yeah, Lava yeah. Monster, before the first act. Ah. So. What is like episode 81? I died in episode 81! <laughs> <laughs> Right, and when the little monster children start to actually like attack them, you know, Gwen's like, like "Oh my god, you. they're gonna kill God!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's just it's so referential, and I, I I love that. I love it so much. There's even the joke that so when um, um, Jason's the only one left on the planet fighting the what they think is the the Greg Knack and the rock monster actually shows up. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I think it, I think it's guy, right. Who, who says, you know, can you make a rudimentary lake? <laughs> yes. That's one of the best lines in this film. And like, if that isn't just straight up from arena. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally arena. And then he ends up with his shirt off and yep. Alexander Dane has to point that out too. He's like, you of course would end up without your shirt. Like I see you've got your shirt off. Like, Yeah. It's the most like Kirk thing you can do, right? Is yeah. to either have the shirt like cut on the chest somewhere, yeah, or mm -hmm. just gone. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> happened with Kirk a couple times. I feel like where like it was torn across the chest mm -hmm. just so you could see the nipples, but right. like there was no blood. Like how did that happen? Like you didn't get like you know, it was that skin. close. Yes, yeah. that close. clearly, which is really close considering how tight those shirts were. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then, so of course you have the, the transporter, right? Where they, right. they beam up the pig thing inside mm -hmm. out. And I do think, I feel like, I feel like Enterprise did borrow from this scene. Yeah. Because, you know, for those who don't, who haven't watched Enterprise or it's been a while, you know, they, their transporter's never been really tested on people, mm -hmm. right? And they don't want to use it. And they're forced to use it a couple of times, right? But it's basically this moment repeated in Enterprise, in a yeah. more serious way. Yeah. Right? But the whole concept is like, yeah, this thing's not really meant for matter. We're going to see what happens. And, you know, maybe you'll turn inside out. Right? Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like that. I like that they made it, you know, artistic. Like, you know, it's more of art than science. Right? Because on Star Trek, it was always just like, here's like a lever or a touchpad. You just move your hand up. Uh -huh. That seems like all you gotta do, unless you're Chief O'Brien, and then there's always some weird button combination. Right. So, I like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Other thoughts, guys? So, I had a question for you guys. I'm not sure what it was like on your reviewing, but um, there's that scene where uh, Tim Allen's character and Sigourney Weaver's character, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time, Jason and Jason Gwen, uh, they are having to go through the obstacle course if you the will the bowels of the ship the bowels of the ship yeah um and they turn the corner and they see what's ahead of them and gwen clearly says what the fuck <laughs> and that's not what the audio says correct right like they totally dubbed over that and i had to rewind it i'm like she is definitely saying fuck and the mouth is not correct i noticed no. that too so that was very much on purpose after they were told they would not get a pg rating okay so they had to make a few edits. It's not the only one. Uh, I think they were able to edit some stuff out, but that straight up was a rating issue. Okay. They wanted to be PG or PG, and they were not going to let them with that in uh -huh. there. Good catch, though. I've never actually noticed it uh -huh. in the movie. I just read about it. Yeah. So yeah. 
That's that's good. That's a good catch. So I love when Jason and Gwen are going through the bowels of the show. That was fun. Because, you know, she's so mad at the writer of the episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, there's like the fire and the, and, you know, what, what do they call the hammers? The, uh, um, there's a name for it. Yeah, I don't remember. Chompers, right? Yeah. All through the chompers. Yeah. Um, it's just like textbook silliness of sci-fi where mm-hmm. there's like, oh, here's a new room on the ship that wasn't here last week, but we made it now and it's going to be weird and crazy. And Yeah. I always love that. And of course you have the, you know, it doesn't, it always stops on one on the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, I love, okay, so this is really where the fans get involved though, right? Because he has to call jo- uh, Brandon, Justin Long's character, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he has to call his friends to get the schematics of the ship. Now for us, in 2018, if we want to find a 3D walkthrough of the Enterprise, that's pretty easy to do, especially if you're willing to drop 20 or 30 bucks, mm-hmm. right? In 1999, think back to what the internet was in 1999, Okay, so to have schematics, that's it. <laughs> what? It was just cat videos. Just cat videos. <laughs> Poor, poorly rendered flash games. <laughs> yes, E bombs world. Yep, was yep. big back then. I remember E bombs world. Numa Numa, I think, was out at this point. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but imagine, you know, what it would have taken to get or build the interior schematics to a starship, a spaceship. Yeah, must have been crazy difficult. Would have taken some effort for sure. Right. Uh, so I love this bit. I love how he's got to like basically try and call up multiple friends. Like they can't Skype each other because it's yeah. 1999. Yeah. You know, so you got like people on the phone and things like that. And they all have, like they have different sections of the ship. Like not even they don't even no one person has the entire ship anyways. <laughs> right? Like maybe it's too big for the computers back. Yeah. Then. Brandon's mom making him take out the trash and sort oh, the recyclables yeah. was the most 1999 thing I have ever yeah. seen in a film. <laughs> I don't remember how many times my mom would ask me to get off our dial-up internet and go do something. And by the time I got back, one of my fucking siblings was sitting there instead. Like, (laughs) hated them. I love my personal computer that I carry with me every day now in Mm -hmm. my pocket. And I would not want to go back to the Dark Ages. No. They were very 90s parents. There's even that moment where, like, he's sneaking out and he's got the fireworks or whatever for the flare and um they were like oh they're like at least he's getting out and the dad doesn't even say anything he just like pulls out his big ass newspaper because apparently it's 1999 and dads are still reading newspapers and it's like <laughs> 4 p.m on a sunday <laughs> yeah. and like you're still reading uh, it at 4 p.m like, yeah he got a slow start he had to mow the lawn no first with, yeah with a non-gas powered like, push blade mower it's yeah. so 90s the mom had a bowl cut not yeah, just the little right. boy. The mm-hmm. mom had a bowl cut. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, it, it is interesting, right? Because this is... The internet, of course, existed, right? But broadband wasn't really a thing yet. Mm-hmm. Mobile phones were... I mean, I guess the Nokia brick was around. Maybe the, the, the Motorola StarTac yeah. might have been around in 99. I have to refresh my memory on that. But you're talking about like... Snake. Maybe, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got Snake and that's it. <laughs> you, like, all phones had a calculator. That's true. Like, my, I got a Nokia brick when I was in junior high and I had a calculator on it, so... You had a text with T9. Yeah. Yep, there you go. I did have... I had a peanut. Uh, I think it was a Nokia, the peanut. And you could actually compose your own ringtones using yeah. MIDI music, uh-huh. oh my which was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot MIDI existed, so that tells um, you where I'm at right now. So, so yeah, so that that this is really where the fans come in, right? Because he's got to explain that everything's real, and Brandon's like, I knew it! <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, which is kind of cute. Um, you know, to save the day and explain what to mm-hmm. do is, is great. Yeah. Um, it's... What is glossed over in this movie, though, is how freaking dark it actually is. Mm-hmm. Basically, the Thermians are wiped out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only people that exist are on that ship. Yeah. Uh, you're also looking at a complete nervous breakdown from Jason Nesmith. We, back then, we joked about how you know fragile celebrities were and the National Enquirer. Like... Those rumor gossip mags are still incredibly popular, only now we have a bigger focus on mental health, and, you know, they're all very concerned after they think he's, like, gone off on a fan and everything, so, you know, that was 
pretty kind of dark and just uh, referencing how they're all has-beens and everything. So it, it was a lot deeper than what I think I took it as in 1999. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, it's interesting you know, the, that the actors, you know, well, the, char the, the character actors, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, Jason yeah. And, and Gwen, uh, they knew themselves, knew each other so well that she could tell when like something was actually wrong with him and mm -hmm. versus him just being his normal self. Right. Yeah. Right. They knew like we we know that uh, that Alan Rickman's gonna go off on his he's gonna have his nervous breakdown and try and leave or you know whatever. Like, they could recite his usual rant. Yeah. Five curtain calls. Five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did I show up in time for the meltdown? I was an actor once. Um, yeah, like, exactly. And I, I think that's really cool. And it's almost. Because it was in 1999, I think it was able to gloss over a lot of the more serious issues. Yeah. I also think dealing with the actors that you were dealing with, Tim Allen, in the 90s, was a leading man, <laughs> and Alan Rickman was not. And we're all, like, now looking upon it, I'm like, man, Alan Rickman should have gotten the girl. And But he was a funny man. He made light of very serious situations in the 70s 80s whatever he had that big run-in where he was arrested for cocaine and you mean tim allen yeah tim okay. allen not alan rickman <laughs> tim allen <laughs> yeah and then in the 90s he had this wonderful flourishing career where he was this family man oh yeah he, you know home improvement toy story i mean he was a big he was the santa claus and he was oh, in right. jungle to jungle like he was in a ton of kids movies he back was. to back to back yeah and that says a lot about him at the time and now like you look at alan rickman who has passed away but had a much more uh, i guess prominent career in the 2000s and 2010s than tom uh tim allen did mm -hmm. well i mean an entire generation will always know alan rickman as snape of course, mm -hmm. yeah. the Harry Potter films, yeah, you know, and he will always be iconic as uh, the bad guy in Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this movie, this movie really made me sad that he was gone. It was like just seeing him again. It's like oh, I haven't watched anything that he's been in in a while. It's like oh, he's gone. My favorite role of his is um, I can't think of his name right now because it's been way too long since I've watched it. But the the robot in Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. Oh, sure. So actually, I finished watching um, this movie and really wanted to watch Hitchhiker's Guide because of both Alan Rickman and Sam Rockwell. Yeah, it's <laughs> a very like, similar... I need to see another cheesy sci-fi film with these two men. And that's fair. Um, you know, and to, to kind of continue on this thought. So back in 2015, uh, Amazon was trying to greenlight a Gar uh, Galaxy Quest TV show. Mm -hmm. uh, it would have, of course, been a streaming show. And um, they had some issues, you know, getting uh, contract negotiations done with the original cast because it was supposed to be, you know, Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, you know, Tony Shalhoub, the whole nine. Yeah. Um, and uh, it wasn't quite working out. And then right when it looked like it was going to happen, Alan Rickman died in January of 2016. Mm -hmm. And basically, I mean, I'm not, not to quote anybody, but basically most of the original cast said that they didn't really want to do it without one of them. It was an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so it's I get that. I, I mean, of course, <clears throat> the studio's obvious thing. They're invested. They have money already put into this. Of course, they pop up with, well, how do you guys feel about a recast? And I can appreciate when people put their foot down and they're like, I wouldn't feel comfortable or this just wouldn't have the same vibe and I'm not quite sure if we can make that happen. So I can appreciate that because they are walking away from a paycheck. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, Paul Shear, who you might know from The League, uh, which was the fantasy football show on FX. Um, He's a bald guy with big teeth, right? Yep. Thank uh, you. He is bald. I'm not sure his teeth are big. I mean, but... he's. I feel like his teeth are like a notable <laughs> uh, feature on his right. face. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, they're not giant or anything. Anyway. Well, anyway. He's got a toothy grin. He, yeah. is, uh, he is currently tapped to work on this revitalization of the show. Uh-huh. Um, they're the, it's in, you know, early stages, nothing's signed, nothing's actually, you know, official, uh, other than him being tasked to work on it. So what you could do, it would not be the same. You could do a show about the Thurmans, 
right after they left and how they would change their society, where they ended up planting roots and what they ended up doing. Because all the actors who played Thermians are still around. Rain Wilson is not working on a current movie or TV show. Um, Hopefully Mud comes back. <laughs> He's in one of the shorts. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. The guy who played the main one, uh, Malthazar, you know, mm-hmm. he yeah. he's constantly working. He is not currently attached to something long-lasting. So, you know, it's very possible to do a Thermian show. I mean, I guess it depends what, what the goal would be here, right? Like, you could do a Galaxy Quest show where it was literally, like, the Adventures of Galaxy Quest. Of the Protector. Yeah. Of the Protector, right? And, you know, you could recast that crew with younger actors because i mean that's not an abnormal thing to do no um it's kind of the current trend and it would be different because it wouldn't be them as the actors of the characters it would be them the characters okay so if it's a comedic tng basically what's the difference between that and the orville that's the problem right and i think if they had gotten it out the door in 2015 2016 and not in then we probably wouldn't have the orville then you probably wouldn't have the orville right but the orville came out of course last year it kind of stunned a lot of people that it was actually really good. Yeah, <laughs> so good. See, I find the Orville incredibly hilarious, and I love that a lot of their plots are basically TNG plots. They could easily fit on there, and every once in a while there's like a dick joke, and I can appreciate that too because I can deal with serious stuff and also crack a dick joke here and there. But I also feel like a Galaxy Quest show would have a little bit more heart. And maybe that's the key. But then you have to really be careful about that chemistry of the cast because the original cast worked really well together. Mm-hmm. You know, they all gelled really well, you know. And, and that is something I don't see on the Orville. I don't see great chemistry between all of them. I see yeah. like certain pairs have good chemistry. The two helmsmen have good chemistry with each other, but not so much anybody else. And I think that's because like maybe the actors offset don't work as much together maybe. as a whole. I'm hoping maybe. that changes in season two. Yeah too i mean i feel like you you know i i would not want them to recast alan rickman's character i would want them to just not have that character be part of the story anymore Mm -hmm. you could have a connection you can have somebody who's supposed to be the same species who is a relative or you know an apprentice or something like that so you could still fill that alien role Without recasting Dr. Lazarus. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you could just have a whole new alien. Like, Star Trek almost did this in Phase Well, they did two. have the Thermian. Mm-hmm. That, uh, Layla, yes. I think, was her name. But I mean, Missy Pyle's character. I mean, as a replacement for Lazarus. Because right. Star Trek almost made this mistake with Phase 2. Where, since Nimoy did not want to return, they were just going to have a new Vulcan. Mm. And, I like, you don't need a Vulcan. Right? You can have something else. You can have a different species there. I'm still waiting for Andorians to matter to somebody. Like, <laughs> I know Enterprise. they do on Enterprise. Yeah, watch Enterprise. Yeah. Shran, uh, Jeffrey Combs, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I'm sad that the Andorians never got their say or got their part in the Kelvin timeline. Yeah. That's fair. Um, all right. So we're coming up on the hour mark here. Um, other th- areas you guys want to touch on, other aspects of, of the film. I made all my points. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, um, Tony Shalhoub's character is so fun being so aloof. Just when he says, like, hey, they're saying that we don't have power, the engines aren't going to work. Like, he's just so nonchalant and calm. Yeah. And then when it they... almost seems high. Uh-huh. <laughs> then when they figure it out, and he's like, guys, we were right. Good job. Let's get like, group hug. Group hug. <laughs> so good. It's like, it's like, especially if you ever watched Monk, it's like the exact opposite of his character in Monk. And it's he, cool to see the range in these people. He had just started Monk or something like I that. Think like so. it was Monk around was time. right around that time where it first started. Well, I love that his character is dropped in slightly at a different time, right? So he misses the Squid People introduction right. of the Thermians, where, which where Sam Rockwell gets like the really amazing scream, mm-hmm. right? Um, so he misses that, and then if you notice, he's carrying around through a good chunk of the movie like a brown bag of food. Yeah. That he just is randomly eating yeah. through parts of the film. Well, it's what he got from the vending machine. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. why he missed the 
And so, like, they're going down to the planet on the shuttle, and he's, like, eating the cheese stick and crackers that we all had, like, as little kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's eating it on the plane, holding his bag of food. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if at any point it really clicked to him that this was all real. <laughs> yeah. And Tony Tal- Shalhoub or the character? Both? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Tony Shalhoub just wandered on set that day. Uh... I think he probably figured out it was real once, you know, he started dating the squid girl or making out with the squid girl. I guess that's fair. That's fair. God, Sam Rockwell played that really <laughs> he well. He did. He made that scene. Like, we've all ended up walking in on stuff we didn't want to see and, and you Sam know, Rockwell we've all, all felt us. a little <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, um, of course, you have the big crash into the convention mm-hmm. at the end of the film. How and, epic is that? Like, yeah. it's so crazy. Because, like, of course, you know, the... the uh, Cyrus, he's the not MC. dead yet. Cyrus like, isn't dead yet. That's the MC true. is from... Uh, oh... Kids in the Hall. Mm. Oh, yeah. I love how he just plays along with it. Like, this is what was supposed to happen, and it's really great special effects. Right. Whatever. Um, so after working cons and knowing how much these con promoters pay to put on their conventions, I immediately was like, well, that guy's out of a job. <laughs> I see that spaceship go through that arena or whatever it is, and I'm like, mm, they're not going to be happy. And I just kept imagining what a KC arena would say to that. Well, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, so yeah, so Saris, of course, right, he's not dead. He comes back off the ship, and then... Jason. I love that. I love that they kill the bad guy like four times. You know, like, that is very track. It's mm-hmm. very sci-fi. Anything like let's just have this person be resurrected for no reason. Like I like how he actually gets hurt the first time though, because mm-hmm. he ends up with the eye patch and he's got scarring and stuff like that. Like you don't yep. see that the first encounter. No. Well, because that takes more makeup. That takes uh, more effort from prosthetics, and we don't see that in a lot of TV shows. You mm-hmm. know. The, and also in a lot of shows and a lot of um, movies are filmed out of order. That takes an awareness of like what makeup he has to have for what scene. Absolutely. Um, so I think it just, that just added to the quality there. Yeah. Um, the death is a little silly. Like it. Like the he, whole movie he's looks vaporized like Voldemort. <laughs> I mean, kind of. But yeah. like it seems more cheaply done, like a magic trick, you know, kind of thing. Which I don't know. That doesn't seem to fit the special effects for the rest of the film. No. Right. But I do love that it's, it ends with Jason doing the role yeah. that they make fun of him for on the planet, uh-huh. right? Where Gwen's like, does the rolling help? And he's like, yeah. He goes, where's your gun? And he, he's dropped his gun, right? But this time he gets to really do it and save the day. And, yeah. You know, it's all cool. They set it up really well, though, because if you watch, um, when Tommy gets off the ship, he has the gun on his back. He's the uh. only one who has the gun attached to his back. Hmm. And that's the one that Jason grabs. And so they did set it up. Like, it's a clear shot. It's right there. It wasn't, you know, a hidden thing. But um, overall, you know, it's it just ends really nicely. It's fun. And then, of course, the show is back on the air. The journey right. continues. Yeah. Uh, which is cute. I, I wonder, though, I'm not sure I understand how the show comes back on the air. Yeah. Since, I mean, I imagine nobody either knows or believes that any of this is true. Sure. But then I guess we have an alien spaceship that's now sitting in the middle of a parking lot. So, yeah, I mean, that's hard to ignore. Right, so I, I wonder what the post is. Yeah, what happened movie. in between the, the relaunch of the show and the events of this film. Right, like I assume like the CIA and FBI show up and they're like, what is this? Yeah. And, you know, it's a real spaceship. You know, there's got to be some conversations, right? they got to be questioned a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. So then here's the big question. Do they ever see the Thermians again? What do you think? I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. No reason not to. My my hope is that the, yeah, the Thermians, you know, rebuild the ship and, you know, start doing their own, like, exploration stuff. And They would have to see the Thermians again because, um, what's-his-face is hanging out with them now. Or no, she, uh, that's right, she joined them. Never right. mind. But either way, like, you've got that connection. That's true. Yeah. She, you'd always at least see the one Thermian because she's got to be <laughs> right. part of the team now. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Anything else, guys, on Galaxy Quest? No, it was a fun movie. Yeah, it was, I enjoyed it was the excuse to rewatch it. Where would Spiritual you? Spiritual cousin. Where does this one fit with you guys? You don't have to give it necessarily an exact yeah. ranking. Yeah, I don't you know. know. Top half, bottom half. This would be one of fourteen films if you include it. In the end, I love laughing more than I do 
I guess, awing and splendor and um, crying and being motivated by anger throughout movies. So I, it'd be pretty high if I was going to throw it in there. Maybe top five. Yeah. Definitely top ten. Like, it's just the jokes that it makes are genuinely funny. They hold up years later. And it comes from a place of love, not insult. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I would definitely say top half. Top Yeah, same for me. Top half for me as well. I I love this movie, like I said in the beginning of, of the episode. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I don't watch it anywhere near as much as I should because it's just a joy. Same. I know. Rewatching, I'm like, why has it been this long since I've rewatched this? And it's got some really emotional moments. You know, it there's, does. there's some deaths, there's some torture scenes, there's some mental breakdowns and they are all really well acted and really yeah. well done and uh for a movie that didn't take itself seriously it definitely took the few things serious that it did well yeah. like I, I, yeah it's great i love it 1999 feels like a long time ago almost 20 mm-hmm. years yeah we're coming up on 19 here at the end of the month but uh you know God, it's good stuff feel old yeah well, all right, so that's going to be it then for our Galaxy Quest discussion. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. I know it's not technically Trek, but I think it is in the spirit of Red Shirts and Runabouts. Um, next week, we will be back to discuss Short Treks Episode 1, which is Runaway, which is the Tilly-centric episode. So we will be back to talk about that one next week, and I believe it will be all three of us. So, uh, Zach, if people want to find you, how can they do that? Uh, at Avengers ES on Twitter and Instagram. Ray? I am at Siren Ray on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I am the Star Trek Dude on Facebook and primarily Twitter. So you can check me out there. I also have an Instagram. And we are Red Shirts and Runabouts on the Heroes Podcast Network. So we hope you will join us next week. Thank you for tuning in. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage.